This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back with Penny Dreadful, Season 2, Episode 8, Memento Mori. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, Season 2, Episode 8, Memento Mori. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. I am one of your other hosts, John, and welcome to our COVID-19 special, yes, where you can bring out your dead and examine the world of pestilence and plague in the Victorian era, yes. (laughs) I'm really hoping it's going to be over by the time this episode is released, John. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, And yes... Lastly, I am uh, I'm here as all. Well. This is Ray. I'm back to talk more Penny Dreadful. Hopefully, you know, steer clear of any coronavirus uh, <laughs> themed things. Yes, yes. Hopefully, it'll all be over and done by the time this episode comes out. Uh, we will be releasing this episode before April 26th when uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels comes out. So, uh, should be all done and dusted by then, right? Absolutely. What better way to avoid monsters, demons, and coronavirus by self isolating mm-hmm. indoors, listening to a lovely podcast about Victorian horror monsters? Remember, sterilize those hands, don't cough in the face of your loved ones, and of course, uh, remember, a good shot of alcohol will always uh, take your mind off anything. <laughs> You're probably all sick of hearing all about that by now, uh, weeks and weeks after those, after those uh, instructions being given out. Oh, absolutely. And so let's get some instruction from Penny Dreadful, I reckon. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Just a reminder, these episodes are going out first on Patreon, so each of these episodes will be released in advance over on our Patreon group. If you support us over on Patreon, at patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries, you'll get each of our discussions about every episode of Penny Dreadful leading up to Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Let's get into our discussion about episode eight. This episode was directed by Carrie Scogland. She went on to direct episode four of Punisher and five episodes of Handmaid's Tale. And really interesting, I know you guys are both Marvel fans. She will be directing six episodes of the upcoming Marvel series, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is due out at the end of this year. Oh. Good stuff. Yeah, that'll be good, actually, to, to say. I mean, those, um, I mean, I was very impressed with the, the Punisher mm-hmm. show and uh, a fan of Handmaid's Tale as well. So it bodes well for. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Absolutely. I was trying yeah, to work definitely. out whether she's the showrunner for the show, because getting six episodes in the director's chair is quite a significant amount uh, for a TV mm. show. So um, kind of intriguing. I think there's only six episodes in it, but uh, still some details to be released about Falcon and Winter Soldier. So we're not 100% sure. We'll probably know that later on in the year. And we will be covering that on TV Podcast Industries, as we do with all the Marvel shows. Yeah, I can't wait to get back into the old Marvel shows, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel, Netflix, The Defenders, and uh, all those associated series seem a long time ago now to be honest um but now disney plus is entering into the world of europe um and of course yeah their their slate will be coming on stream as it does Mm -hmm. and if anything there'll be a a lot less dolls 
I'm imagining in the <laughs> Disney Plus shows, John. So well, yeah, exactly. Although you'll be able to buy them, it would be quite annoying That's or right. really freaky if you know you had Captain America with kind of that hinged jaw, <laughs> like the ventriloquist puppet. Yeah, that would puppy, be... puppet, um, and he is a puppy, though, isn't he? Really, <laughs> he is. um, and uh, but yeah, that would be really freaky. Although they could do Marvel zombies. Yes, they could. They could Marvel yeah. ventriloquist doll zombies. I like it. <laughs> but the episode once again written by John Logan. John, do you? want to tell us what they gave us with the summary for this episode of Penny Dreadful. Sure. It's now morning and John Clare confronts Victor over permitting Lily to go out with another man. Victor has no idea where she is and he realises he has little control over her in any event. Claire visits her when she is at home alone, but isn't prepared for what she reveals. Meanwhile, Inspector Rust calls on Sir Malcolm to learn why he visited Scotland Yard the previous September. But Malcolm refuses to divulge any details. Mr. Lyle has completed translating the diary, which explains the evil they are facing and the nature of their most potent weapon against it. So Malcolm breaks the spell, Mrs. Poole plays on him and goes to her home to confront her. Meanwhile, Angelique finds Dorian's secret room, which contains a very special painting. Oh, yes, it does. Really does, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I will be talking about that at my point because I have it as finally. <laughs> it's been mm. two seasons uh, building up to that point. Um, Ray, do you want to kick us off with your big moment from this episode? Yeah, sure. I, I um, yeah, really enjoyed this episode as well. There are a few things I guess we can pick from it. Uh, the The standout for me was I always love an underdog, you mm-hmm. know, and I yeah. always love um, some of the minor characters standing up. So when Simbene uh, opposes... Uh, the witchcraft or the enchantment over Sir Malcolm, and he basically manhandles him mm-hmm. and thrusts him into that room to kind of essentially just say, you know, wake up to yourself. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a really good, uh, a really good moment. Uh, again, it showed the strength of Simbene as well. Mm-hmm. But um, tying into that as well, I guess with the overall main point, it, it is Sir Malcolm, uh, I guess, confronting this enchantment that he has and. And he goes through the struggles of it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And Benny uh, telling him to know who he is, man. I love mm. it. Absolutely. Really good moment for St. Benny. You kind of, we've always said he's kind of a background character in the show, but has some great moments throughout the series. And this is almost a moment where you go, okay, now I know why he's here. He's a really strong mm. presence that Malcolm needs around him to help him through all the things he goes through, really. But such a wonderfully filmed scene as, as Malcolm uh, goes into the room and starts seeing these visions of his family. Uh, at another ball, effectively, this uh, this beautifully lit mm-hmm. ball that they have going on as you see the return of his children, of Peter and, and Mina, and his wife as well, uh, in that room, dancing with him and trying to encourage him back to himself. Yeah, I, I thought, um, I, I just love the fact that this room, you know, it's been there all the time, and we've never been into it, and that uh, Sam Benny, you know, throws Sam Alcom in there. Uh, with his line about knowing who you are. And it's kind of like, you know, this dusty room is almost like Sir Malcolm's memory. It's Mm -hmm. dusty of his kids. Um, Like, he's almost forgotten the good times. It's all the guilt um, of, you know, Peter's death, him shooting Mina, and probably just, in some ways, abandoning his wife in some respects, yeah. uh, keeping up a, a facade of, of their relationship for, uh, you know, the social status and standing. Um, and that's why I think, you know, when it comes alive with the ball and you get the colour coming back into the room, I just think that's a really wonderful 
uh, moment. Um, okay, and, and and all the guests, they're they're all kind of these ghostly white. Uh, but I, I thought this was really nice, and mm-hmm. um, it's certainly it, it's that power, I suppose, in terms of the title of that 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 um, those mementos. Um, of his past um but they're the good mementos mm-hmm. they're the things that put a smile on your face and that combating this evil you know where we see um Evelyn Poole effectively slightly aghast that um her plan or her spell uh, her enchantment has been has been broken yeah. by by this positivity in a sense uh, you know the the good um as opposed to the evil so I, this was yeah this was really nice um one of the things i thought i caught in this as well which i'm wondering whether it broke the enchantment as well was mm. the floor was really dusty and there is a moment towards the end when it goes back to the dusty room and you have some bernay victor and mr lyle stood you know having watched uh some alchem sort of i suppose dancing by himself mm-hmm. but in the dusty floor it looked to me like there was the shape of a scorpion um it looked like there was oh, wow. a tail with a slight point mm-hmm. um and one half of the 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 claw of of the scorpion yeah. um i mean it did, it did look yeah, when you pointed it out we had to rewind it and just have a look at the scene again it does look like they were at least trying to go for the shape of a scorpion in the, in the floor which is very cool right. maybe we're reading too much yeah. into it but it did look like it that. did it did look like that and mainly because it was mainly feet doing sort of the body and the tail and, and and the claw but there were kind of parts where you kind of just thought that's possibly just a little bit of cgi to help hmm. add that kind of look to it and um, not that it was obvious i yeah. mean it's just because I noticed the point um, at the tail, and I thought that doesn't look like it's been done by feet in right. a sense. Right. But I thought that was, if, yeah. if that is the case, I thought that was a really cool way because it's almost like it, in reliving his memories, he's drawn this protective symbol that helps to break the enchantment as, as much as the the good memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's Vanessa by his side in a sense, even though she's not there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I thought that was quite cool. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I didn't didn't pick that up at all, but that that is pretty cool as well. I mean, could it even be as well? Maybe just an unseen thing that this connection that Sir Malcolm has with Vanessa, uh, and Vanessa protecting him in a, in, in a sense. Um, so whether she's done it directly or not, but since she's such a big rival of Evelyn Poole, mm-hmm. um, could her magic have or enchantments have spilled over onto Malcolm? And mm-hmm. he's they're kind of like Malcolm's defense systems. Um, Potentially, but no, I didn't pick that up at all. That was a, that's a really nice touch if they do that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'm just thinking, um, <laughs> maybe it's not there at all, but it, it did. It just looked uh, like it. I'll um, see if I can pull an image of that uh, for the show notes for the episode and yeah. see if I can share that with everybody and, and yeah. so they can see it as well. I did like um, Malcolm just before he was thrust into the room by St. Ben. I loved his kind of speech where he's realizing that he's under the manipulation of somebody. He realizes this isn't him. His his speech where he's saying, um, I was cruel to my wife and children and then I became famous and I was even more cruel to them then. Have you seen me grow into a happy person? That's not who I am. On the day of my wife's funeral, I was dancing at a ball. You know, it's all of these moments mm-hmm. where he's realizing everything that he's done over the previous few weeks since he met Evelyn Poole is not the type of person that Malcolm is. And everybody's been looking at him going, oh, sure, he's just in love. It's grand. Like, he's absolutely fine. He'll come back to himself in the future. But even he's realizing the things he's been doing and the things he's been saying are not representative of the type of cruel man that he was in the past. Yeah, I think um, 
yeah, it kind of reconnects Malcolm to his good side here. But at the same time, uh, I love how it contrasts with then the dark memories that Evelyn Poole puts on him mm-hmm. sort of towards the end where he is, he, he's seeing the worst of what he has become. So mm-hmm. there's that nice bookend here, I think, within this, mm-hmm. this episode. Um, I also really liked, um, the intercut between Malcolm in his drawing room with Evelyn Poole sort of just playing literally with his heart. Um, and, yeah. uh, dare I say, you know, with the Malcolm fetish and Evelyn Poole does have a Malcolm fetish mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> she is. Yeah. I think this is what I kind of liked about it when she has that conversation with him before she effectively throws him into torment uh, in her parlor room is I, I like the sort of tragedy of Evelyn Poole in this moment where she's like, what's good is youth if you don't have anyone to share it with. Mm. Um, and she really mm. does make the pitch to Malcolm to be, to be with her forever. And he will do that. But, the trade-off is that, unfortunately, um, it can't happen because the only thing he will accept is if they give up Vanessa, yeah. which she can't because of her own master and mm-hmm. um, certainly is a harsh boss. Yes, he is, certainly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you um really do start to see the cracks in Evelyn pull around here as well. And, yeah. and it becomes apparent she's not that faultless just machine of an evil being as mm-hmm. well. And, you know, they kind of humanise her. She's still terrible, obviously. She's yeah. Very, yeah. <laughs> she's a, um, a horrible person. But um, they're starting to inject that. So you do kind of get a bit more sympathy towards her. And that moment, yeah, when when uh, Sambine and Sir Malcolm uh, go into that ballroom and for that slight second she's kind of like, oh, something's wrong with my, with my magic. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a, a really nice touch. Yeah. Um, I thought as well. Absolutely. This uh, this main point is um, mainly around, obviously around Malcolm, Esther Malcolm, and how uh, he's kind of struggling with this enchantment that he has over him. But as I as I introduce it with Simbene, I just love how fearless Simbene is yeah. mm-hmm. as well. Um, even with his relationship with Ethan Chandler, mm-hmm. um, but also with this and with with seeing that the witches when they uh, invade. Um, the mansion, mm-hmm. he just doesn't give a second thought about it. And yeah. I just love that about him. Yeah. Um, and it just adds to his mystery because we still, we learn later on a little bit more about him, but mm-hmm. still not enough for my, for my liking. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's a really, he's a really great character. Like, I, I think Sembene is a very cool character here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love his kind of, he is almost like this immovable object. Mm-hmm. He, he's this stoic person at the center of it. And he comes in at the right moment with the right line to kind of keep people back on track yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a man of few words, but the words that he speaks absolutely have weight uh, and uh, force. Uh, and other people listen to him. And I think that's one of the things that's really good about this is, you know, um, it, because he's, He's a butler, you know, because also he's from Africa. That There's all these kind of power relationships that could be with Sembene, and yet mm-hmm. he is seen as part of this crew, that, that there's a, an equality there. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, they really do take on board um, his wise words. Yeah. Um, and you see mm-hmm. how with Ethan, you know, and Ethan's troubled past of effectively the through the indian wars uh cultural su- suppression it's almost like he is trying to remedy his past as well 
by his relationship that he develops with Sembene. So he doesn't say much, but there's so many kind of linchpins to other people, um, whether it's Sir Malcolm, Ethan, and and Vanessa. Mm -hmm. He just has those quiet words, those quiet moments with them, or, you know, he forcefully, like he does with Sir Malcolm, uh, throwing him into the ballroom. Mm -hmm. He just comes in and says, you know, cut the crap. Um, Yeah. This is what we need to do. So, yeah. like, I find I found Simbeni when I first watched this, and it's only just grown with this rewatch. Um, him an immensely interesting uh, character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I and I really do like him, even though, in a sense, you could almost say he's a supporting character, but he is more than that for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad that he did do that to Sir Malcolm as well, because um, I'm not sure about both of you, but around this time of the season, um, I understand that Sir Malcolm is is under a spell and such, but I, w- I was starting to kind of miss <laughs> the old Sir Malcolm around this stage. Yeah. Um, I-, I was used to him being like the, the bedrock, you know, the leader of the team, mm-hmm. and just to see him act in, in that way, um, maybe it was deliberately done um, a little too long, but it was kind of like, I was kind of, no. Oh, He's got to. He's got to break out of this yeah. sooner or later. Like I didn't yeah. really like seeing him under that spell. Yeah. Um. So if that was obviously their intent, then it was it was brilliantly done because mm-hmm. um I was really happy once he was starting to um confront these demons. Absolutely, because it was really from about the second episode onwards that we haven't seen the Malcolm from season one that mm. we saw. You know, he was the supportive rock for everybody around yeah. him, the, the one that was uh, bankrolling everything and the one that was telling everybody to, uh, to what they needed to do as the leader of the group. Whereas from, from the beginning of this season, he's been totally backseat and totally controlled. I absolutely think mm-hmm. it was shaving his beard off that, uh, that severed the con- connection with that fetish because the fetish does still have the beard. That <laughs> was right. Yes. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of uh, reduces the influence, let's say. Yeah, the, there's the chinks in the enchantment <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and yes, it was also Simbene in that room after Malcolm makes the speech he is the one that goes this is not the man I know um he he Mm. is the watcher and has been uh, since the start as you say a very quiet uh, character but when he wants to be loud and when he wants to be heard he's absolutely heard by everybody so really good point Ray really like that one uh John do you want to give us your big moment from this episode yeah, it's, um, it's twofold. It, it, Caliban or John Clare confronting Lily, uh, over her dalliance, uh, with Dorian. Uh, but in turn, he unleashes the monster, the true Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've kind of said with four parts Broner, um, <laughs> you really see that, uh, Broner is alive and well, uh, as she counters this confrontation from Caliban. And it's such a powerful uh, scene. I, I I really, really enjoyed it. I love the fact that here Lily steps up and there's a whole host of things here. You know, earlier on in this uh, this episode, we have Caliban coming to, uh, to Victor saying, where is Lily? You made her for me. She is mine. I will take her. All this possessive talk from Caliban. And of course... Lily comes back to say that men, you know, silly little men asking, you know, she, she recounts through Broner's voice, um, effectively being a prostitute and having men forced upon her. Um, that she, she references back to the corsets that they must wear, that they must go through the slavery of marriage. This idea that, um, you know, women are absolutely subservient and Caliban, in all his wisdom, in all his prophetic announcements, in all his quoting of romantic poetry, 
is no better than normal humans. And she really makes that clear to him. And I think this is so powerful. And I, I loved it from her. Um, she really um, stands up to him and makes him small. Mm. But I think as well, she knows. She knows who she is and where she comes from. Yep. She knows she's been created. Um, you know, she talks about Victor. She, he has brought forth, um, demons. Um, but not only, uh, that, she also then, you know, after mocking Caliban says, but, you know, effectively we are brothers. Um, and we have been created to rule. Um, we are the conquerors. So that, and this is really reflective of what Caliban, uh, has said in the past mm -hmm. to Victor through season one that, you know, they are a new breed. They are part of the mechanized industrial world yeah. and they are superior. So this, this element has come through in her as well. Absolutely. Which I thought, um, was really, really nice. And of course, the other element here is that both of them, have the notion of killing their creator mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. or, of uh, strangling Victor. Uh, we have Caliban saying, you know, when all of this is done, I think this is at the start of this episode, he goes, you know, he threatens Victor with, I will return to you and I will show you the monster you have made. Uh, a real threat that he'll come back and kill him effectively. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that then Victor does kind of like, as a scurdy cat, run off and stay and sleep over at some Alcums for about the next two weeks, I oh, think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he runs off into the arms of Morphine for a while I think and then so. stays over in the yeah, he, he, house. Yeah. He's certainly been spooked. Yeah. Um, I have to say, Billy um, Piper is phenomenal in this part. I think that moment where we see her Northern Irish uh, accent yeah. rear back up in that moment where she's calling out about being dragged down uh, laneways in London and then just having money thrown at her because she's a prostitute and that's the way she's been treated. There's a very specific line after she calls out uh, being in the service of marriage or the slavery of marriage. Then she says to Caliban, doesn't your face belong beside mine? in this power move effectively is what she's saying. So she's not saying that the two of them will be uh, wedded to each other and living together for the rest of their lives. She's saying, come stand side by side yeah. with me as we take over the world. And it's a, it's a really good twist of phrase from, uh, from this character effectively realizing her own potential. But that moment when she says, I've known this from the beginning. We thought that people's memories return because we'd seen that from Proteus and we'd heard that from uh, Caliban's discussions. But how early did she know and how long has she been pretending to not know so that she mm. could do what she needed to do? Like we saw that moment where she killed the guy in the, at the end of uh, episode seven, where she killed the guy from the pub. But before that, has she just been waiting for the moment when she's been allowed to do what she wanted to, waiting for the moment to be allowed to go back on the street and pretending to be the innocent? Um, you know, like that, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, it's a real change yeah. in the dynamic mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Admittedly, um, I found it, I enjoyed it. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Billy Piper's mm -hmm. performance was brilliant and, Gee, she's got some nice juicy lines in it, oh, doesn't yeah. she? I, I was watching it going, oh, man, should be eating this up because this is what actors love to do. Absolutely. She gets to expound on, on you know, just her character and, and all that. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. But admittedly, I found it quite – I did find it quite jarring um, that she all of a sudden has turned, mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? And, and everything that you mentioned, Derek, is, is spot on. And what I loved was that how she kind of reverts um, – temporarily to that Irish accent, which yeah. kind of uh, it really does link it into, okay, she has recalled this, and, and her saying that she's known from the start. But 
if I'm to be critical about it, I would have loved maybe a few more cues at the beginning because either Billy Piper has played it so convincingly mm-hmm. or her character has played it so convincingly in the previous episodes that you just can't tell that she knows this at all and, yeah. and she's hiding it so well, or the fact that Billy Piper was instructed to play it as, you know, as this innocent character. Yeah, yeah, Because uh, yeah. I found the switch really, yeah, I found it really um, abrupt, um, uh, but it did add to the effect of it where, where she does confront John Clare mm-hmm. and um, – Man, if you thought John Clare was bad, you know, Lily is John Clare on steroids. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like hearing that, hearing that line from her where she goes, I will never kneel to any man like you yeah. will kneel to me, kneel for me. It's just so powerful yeah. in that yeah. moment. Oh. I do think I, I'm not, I'm not sure whether she knew from the very beginning, because obviously she's reborn and obviously she'll go mm. through a period of time where she'll have no idea what's going on. But I certainly think there was one cue which was where they were having the conversation. Victor uh, was dressing her up for the first time and has that conversation about uh, women being enslaved before. And I think there was a little switch that kind of clicked from that point onwards where she had that focus where she now is at the point of, I will never bow to another man. Yeah, and I think Mm. Dorian's ballroom, I think, um, you know, she does say, I feel I've been here before. And so Mm, I I think there are some, and maybe even with the guy that she picks up in the pub, it is effectively kind of she's prostituting herself out a bit for a one yep. night stand uh, oh, yeah. with you know and yes. th- maybe That's there's something there her, and and yeah. maybe a bit like with Vanessa it was the act of having uh, sex that released yeah. the, I mean I don't know I I agree it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. it's a difficult transition to do mm. um and maybe um I think jo- maybe John Logan wanted that to be as much of a shock to us yeah. mm. um uh, as it was for Caliban being confronted in that moment uh, but I do maybe... know that it's Caliban that calls it out that Caliban yeah. is going to her stop pretending to be so innocent I know that you're stronger than that I know that you're my sister effectively I know I know that you're the, you're created the same way that I am so you have the same power and that just makes her switch and go all right pretense is off now <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> yeah. see the real me yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah I, I think for sure episode seven by that point yeah i mean you do see her colors coming out yeah but uh, yeah i mean dorian's um the ball as well uh yeah she, to me she was still kind of um she seemed to have a, a like a vibe of wonderment mm-hmm. yeah you know without i mean without you know having like a little thing to to go for the viewers mm is she is there a bit of uh, malice under that like she was totally innocent so anyway i mean that's just a small quibble because um we get this very interesting character in lily now absolutely and uh oh gosh yeah and john you mentioned about that quote um i found it very effective was when john claire made that threat to um to victor Mm -hmm. yeah um i i had in my my head notes that it was very shelley-esque because Uh, Frankenstein's creature, these threats that he makes. I mean, that, that famous one in the novel where he said, I'll see you on, on your wedding night. To me, that, that kind of harkened the same way. Like, <laughs> you know, when you're all happy, when we're far and gone That's and it. you think that I'm gone one day, some hour, yeah. when you least expect it, I'll be back and you're going to be, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and there's, toast. there's these yeah. commonalities between, 
um, John Clare and Lily ultimately. And, and I think part of that is the desire to kill their creator, Victor. You know, uh, she says we'll come one day and strangle Victor, um, put their, their, our hands around his neck and, and, and squeeze. Yeah, that it's very Shelley-esque, this idea of your creator and being born or created into torment and, and having to take a vengeance against him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely uh, in the spirit of, of Mary Shelley, for yeah. sure. And yeah. I do think the true horror in all of that is, you know, Victor is, he believes, a scientist just going out doing what he should do. And he wants to bring people back to life and create it and take down the veil between death and, and life. He's done that. And the monsters that he's created have now turned on him. They're now saying, we will come back and kill you. You will, you will fear us effectively. So there's nothing he can really do about that. They are created. They are in the world now. So, so there's nothing really yeah. he can do to avoid the faith that they're now proclaiming on him. So uh, I don't think he's going to be making friends with either of them anytime soon. Yeah, it's strange as well, because um, although he, he does harbor John Clare a lot of anger towards Victor still, uh, I do believe, I mean, if you compare him with Lily, um, John Clare's rage has been tempered so much by, I guess, his encounters with other humans Absolutely. that have, yeah. have, um, forced him to kind of grow and learn and change his views on things. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still, he's still very angry at, at Victor. Um, and especially because of this, this promise for, for creating a mate for him. Yeah. And, and that's not going too well. But if you look at Lily, I mean, she's very hot-headed, um, and, and she has that so much rage still built in, uh, and and I think that's the the big difference between the two. She's kind of coming in intense, while whilst John Clare's had that the conversations with Vanessa, you know, he's, he's had conversations with Vincent Brand, like mm-hmm. he's found other people, so it's kind of you know softened him a little. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's, you know, the meeting that Lily's had is with Dorian and Dorian's kind of willing to Mm. uh, accept her for who she is and kind of help her on this path that she's already on. Whereas Jean-Claire is meeting people who are treating him nicely and then turning on him. So uh, like, it's interesting that that moment where he comes back to Bronan is so possessive, that speech that he's giving to her about your mind, she was built for me kind of thing. That's off the back of the treatment that he got from Lavinia. Putney, yeah. uh, where she said he has colder hands than any human should, um, and that there's something wrong with him constantly. He had kind of been developing that relationship, but you possibly thought there was some kind of love interest going on between the two of them. And he comes back to the house so angry at everything that's happened mm-hmm. to him with that relationship and not, and not feeling that he's a real human, uh, that that's why he directs it as that. So. But Dorian is also the double-edged sword. He is the honey trap. He's, you know, the spider and the fly. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, he promises a lot, um, but unfortunately will toss you aside um, literally and physically um, as soon as uh, he's done with you. Speaking of which, that is basically my main <laughs> point for this episode. The portrait of Dorian Gray. Finally. Woohoo! Didn't expect to see it in this way. I thought we were going to see that moment, effectively, where he goes in, looks at his portrait and heals himself. I thought that was what we were going to see in the Mm -hmm. show. I absolutely didn't think that poor Angelique uh, was going to be the one that Mm -hmm. would see uh, this portrait. Um, He's ruined their relationship effectively he i think you guys talked about it last time where i was saying that he'd been very supportive of of angelique in her moves to uh to be the person that she is i suppose um yet what we see at the beginning of this episode is she's suddenly going you you're leaving me behind you found a new uh plaything in uh, in lily and you're leaving me behind you're not doing anything and he just brushes her off 
but she finds the secret hidden room in his house. Um, it's an interesting moment, I have to say. I'll, I'll talk about the portrait in a second, but I have to say it's an interesting moment that they still hide it. You have that reveal that she's standing in front of the painting looking at what's what's up there as Dorian arrives back home. They have the discussion. He says, now you've seen the real me. I know the real you. Can you accept me? And Angelique goes, yes, I can. But unfortunately, the champagne glass has been poisoned by Dorian. Um, and as she dies on the ground, he smiles saying, I never think you would accept me for that. So was that as shocking a death for you guys as it was for me? I think so. I mean, I think here... Um, what I really love in this scene is that Dorian has been saying he accepts Angelique for who she is. Um, and that is what's given her the confidence. And in the end, what it really is, is sort of dust and ash because mm. he doesn't accept the fact that she can accept him. He yeah. can't take the other way around. And in fact, in the end, he treats her in exactly the same way as the men in the brothel house that she has come from. That they, they discard her um, and effectively taunt her in the end. And, and so the hang-up is with Dorian here. And I like that. It, it's the fact his weakness is he is so insecure. He comes across as, uh, as the, um, you know, the confident man, the explorer with social convention. Mm. And yet in the end, he can't simply accept someone else's love and acceptance of himself. Yeah. Um, and so that is what I really like about this here. The poison as well. It's just so Dorian, like, um, it, it's weak. It, it's, you know, in a lot of stories, you know, the po people that poison, they're, 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 they're classed as being, you know, the spider that hides in the darkness. It, it, it's the, the weakness of it because you don't confront and have the sword fight kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's always classed as that. So it's no surprising that Dorian does this. It, it's duplicitous in its own way, yeah. poison. You, you offer something as rich as champagne to toast one another. Well, yeah, and and ultimately, what you're doing is is stabbing them in the back. Yes, and he asks, with the poison. And he asks the question, "Will you accept me?" While she's drinking the champagne, so he's already poisoned her. He yeah. doesn't care about what her answer is going to be. He's already made up his mind. Yeah, I was going to actually say that would have been pretty funny. I was thinking, like, if he he gave her the champagne and asked her the question. And if you were surprised at her response, probably, oh, hang on, hang on, love, oh, don't, don't, don't drink that. <laughs> don't swallow it, don't swallow it. <laughs> um, but, John, I think you make some really good points there as well. I, I came at, from it in a different angle, mm -hmm. um, in the I, I, far less um, sympathetic to Dorian. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm starting to agree with your points, John, but the way I, I was thinking about it was I, I don't think Dorian cares about anyone at all. Absolutely. Um, he, uh, you know, regardless or not whether Angelique had feelings for him or not, he, he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. um, he, exactly um, as mentioned before, he has a plaything. She was his plaything. She was interesting to him. Mm -hmm. um, he's now found Lily. She's far more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he just has a, you know, he's lived long enough. He, he he doesn't want any bar of Angelique. And that's how I saw it. Um, But it's very interesting. It does make sense about his insecurity of, of saying, yeah, yeah, I can't accept that someone would actually accept him. Yeah. Um, that actually does give him a bit more of a... a a sympathetic layer, yeah. but I still like to see him as terrible because, like, when you see that first shot of Angelique, just kind of 
um, reclined on the couch, and she's obviously been neglected mm-hmm. uh, when yeah. you see her. One of the worst things, I think, from Doreen is this thing, how he just tosses people aside. Exactly, yeah. And so, yeah, that was one of the, like, yeah, I, f- I find him a totally horrible, horrible character, which yeah. is obviously he's meant to be. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just all that sort of stuff. So, I have no sympathy for him. Yeah. Hey, and, uh, it's, it's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s now and I'm, I've met people like this in their 20s. You've met people mm. in college that were like this who just throw partners aside left, right and centre and then they settle down. There's a point that they get to where they meet the person that they're going to spend the rest of their lives with and they settle down and have kids and they're fine. And it feels like Dorian is just stuck in that college mm. mindset from being yeah. a 20-year-old for the rest of his life. Yeah. And everybody that meets him looks at him and goes, you're beautiful, I want to sleep with you. He sleeps with them, and then he makes the decision as to whether he sleeps with them again, so, so forms a short-term relationship, or just drops them and leaves them in his wake. And sometimes it's like the, I'll never call you back, or you'll never hear from me again kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas Angelique yeah. moved in with him. He allowed her to move in close to his house, all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like he was setting up a whole relationship with her, and then suddenly she just tossed aside because he's found something new. So well, um, I hate people like that. So seeing somebody that's probably lived for, if you judge the portrait, probably lived for a couple of, about 20 or 30 years doing this over and over again. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So. I th- yeah, I mean, it, it's the dichotomy of, of Dorian Gray. He's open to everything, yeah. yet is closed towards the thing that matters, mm-hmm. which is someone else's acceptance or love yeah. of him himself which he despises yeah um, and that's that's the, the the point of dorian gray yeah. yeah yeah as he says himself just to move it onto the portrait i reckon is you know this portrait is sin made manifest mm-hmm. here so it's his sin yeah um, and what a portrait it was. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question as well, Derek, um, mm. with Angelique's death, I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised. Only in the fact that with the portrait, mm-hmm. um, the portrait uh, is built up as this, you know, very mysterious thing. And I think once anyone has set eyes on it, you know yeah. that they're probably going to be dead dongers. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just, it's yeah. such a shame. It's one of those things that you go through as a fan of a show like um, like Walking Dead, for example, as you guys know, I'm a big, mm-hmm. big fan of Walking Dead. So it's a thing that you go through sometimes when a character is taken out and killed, where you go, she's got so much story to go. They're building up this really interesting mm-hmm. character that we haven't seen on TV very often. So, so much story you can explore. And then suddenly it's like end of this episode and you're going, oh, okay, we're not going to learn anything more about that person's history or their future or how they navigate this world. It's one of those things you always have to accept. In, in shows when they kill off a character that's really interesting so uh, that's probably why I was so shocked because you're going oh this is going to be really interesting maybe yeah, they yeah. will become this power couple because she's the only person that he'll reveal the portrait to maybe that's what it is so oh, yeah, uh, yeah that, that's where I that's where I came from um, but the portrait itself so uh, I, I talked to you guys before so I've read the the, uh, the portrait of Dorian Gray the, the novel quite recently so um, the description in the novel is slightly different to uh, to the portrait itself but I think it's brought to life fantastically on the screen here. Um, what you kind of hear from the novel is that Dorian is so obsessed with this portrait, he checks it almost every day to see what impact the things that he's done each day has had on the portrait. So I kind of like the little touch of that. What we see in here is just after he kills Angelique, you see a flash of blood appearing on his cheek as the uh, portrait 
kind of screams at him effectively. So uh, this mm. bend image of an older version of himself uh, sitting in shackles uh, yeah. in this portrait is just fantastic. Whoever the production designer is that that decided that this would be the version of the older Dorian Gray, give them all the money uh, to do whatever they want yeah, to do in yeah. the future. That was fantastic. Really looked um monstrous uh, in in its portrayal on the in, in the portrait itself yeah, which I, is exactly what you would expect from what we've been saying is the dark heart of Dorian for the last two seasons you know it's been building to this moment where we reveal what he really looks like behind yeah. the facade of this young man yeah no i i thought it i thought it was great i i loved the jarring lunge towards <laughs> uh Dorian um you know and so the chains there are for uh, for to to keep him there to to keep him as a prisoner within the portrait. Um, I love the fact that the eyes looked really real, like they yeah. did. It mm. you really got the sense of someone being trapped within that portrait with the eyes. Yeah. Um, and then just the ravages of Dorian's sin on his on the the portrait's skin, the skin yeah. uh, was was just so good. So I, I was really you know I. I it could have been like a deflating balloon. You see mm. the portrait and you go, oh, mm. okay. But this really felt um, properly sort of like scary. Yeah. Um, the idea that he was lunging at Dorian and you see Dorian's face kind of take that moment and almost a little step back and then smiles as he realizes, um, you know, it's still business as normal yeah. for him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a, a very, yeah, very decrepit interpretation of, of Dorian and, and um, it's really good. Apart from the those really um, inhuman movements of the of the the painting when it comes towards Dorian as well, uh, on first glance as well, you, you kind of you see this um, hideous figure, and then you and then I had a, another closer look as well, and it is modelled after the actor Reeve Carney as well. Mm. So that the face is very much like him, but just really old under all that kind of muck and mess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is really his face, age. Excellent. So uh, they did a really good job and, and totally met my expectations for, yeah. for this portrait. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that's it for the main points about uh, this episode of Penny Dreadful. Guys, any notes that we haven't talked about? Um, yeah, I've got hundreds. loads. I've got millions, um, <laughs> hundreds of thousands. Um, yeah, I just had a look into Memento Mori, um, obviously the title for the episode, um, which translated from the Latin is Remember You Must Die or mm. Remember Death. Um, and, uh, I just like this fact that it, you know, it, with some alchemy, it's the reminders of his own family mementos yeah. of, of death. And, um, it, just reading a bit more on it, it was, or it is a philosophical or ancient practice of reflection and um, that has kind of dropped out of fashion which or or or, or usage even um that everyone no matter who you are king or peasant rich or poor clever or stupid healthy or infirm will die yeah. and the great leveler that is uh is death and you must remember that you will uh come to that point um and i suppose within this era be judged um so it, it's almost like a check and balance in the past that was used to reflect on your life and how you treat others because you will be judged uh, there on after mm -hmm. so i thought that was um really good there's only two certainties in life death and taxes and then it yeah, exactly. Oh, taxes indeed. Um, <laughs> Any other notes? Yeah, as I say, I've yeah, got millions. I'll... But Ray, go on. Oh yeah, just just a short note as well. Um, with I found the opening scene, which carries on from the uh, episode before, with Lily 
talking to the to the corpse Ooh, the yeah. man that she picked up at the bar i found it quite um I guess symbolic as well that she's talking to a corpse, um, similar to how Victor loved talking to her when she was, before she was reanimated. Very good. Yeah. So there's a, a nice little cycle there as well. But also yeah. just what she's saying was very scary. Yeah. Um, and I found it quite lyrical as well in the fact that uh, she mentioned something about she, she totally hates men, right? Mm. But, um, she doesn't want them to grow up to stay a boy, yeah. and and for this guy that she's just killed, oh good, now you don't, now you'll never grow up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very chilling stuff. Yeah, without a doubt. I love that she also knocks over the house of cards as she leaves the house as well. Yeah, because <laughs> I was wondering when. Uh, when they arrived in the home and you saw this house of cards built up, uh, I was going, that's not going to last very long. No, exactly. <laughs> and I, I think that kind of, it, it, it is potentially, well, I, I, it probably is saying that Lily will become a disruptor mm-hmm. in Victorian society, uh, moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, so I like, you know, she, she breaks the house of cards Absolutely. It's, and its foundations. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was a great moment that, um, I think. My, I have another note. Um, I, I like Inspector Rusk saying it seems we have a Quartermain. I'd mentioned about Samalcom being, um, Alan Quartermain, uh, from the, the, the comics, uh, effectively wit by Alan Moore, um, the, League, oh, the of, League of Gentlemen. The, the League of Gentlemen. Mm. Um, and, uh, but not originally from that. But not originally <laughs> from that. No, so I, I had a little look back. Um, and this was from, uh, H. Ryder Haggard's novels, King Solomon's Mines. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a hunter. Um, but there were some other interesting things here that obviously derive from the quartermaster in the army, who is basically, um, a very resilient and practical, versatile person. But, um, that Africans, um, referred to quartermains as makamazan, uh, which meant a watcher by night, which was a reference to their nocturnal habits and keen instincts, mm, which I think, you know, for this story is very, um, very apt. Mm, I thought sure. that was pretty good, yeah. um, as well. I also did like Inspector Rusk and Samalcom's, uh, moment on interior decoration were, um, Inspector Rusk is, is inquiring about um, his predecessor, and you said you must hunt a, a beast. And of course, he's got his his rifles, uh, three rifles as a mm-hmm. tripod, uh, which uh, Inspector Rusk sort of notes. And <laughs> Malcolm goes, "I can decorate my home any way I see fit," um, which I thought yeah. was really good. Um, and the door made of steel yeah. to keep out a beast. And he goes, "Well, there have been robberies," um, and I just like this this kind of uh, little light heart. Yeah. interaction between the two definitely definitely uh, one of the note I want to just mention from this episode I love the use of the nightcomers um, throughout the visitations to Evelyn Poole's house um, I love that poor Mr. Lyle is having the conversation with Evelyn and as he's leaving the house it's just this labyrinthian walk where he's trying to find the front door yeah. and in the background <laughs> you see the nightcomers kind of flashing in and out uh, in, in in behind him and Hecate is the one that, that uh, approaches him towards the end but the same thing happens when Malcolm arrives as well he comes in through the front door thinking he's alone and you see the nightcomers in the background. It's a it's a great gothic horror moment as as they use these yeah. flashes of the uh, of the witches in the background. Very cool. Almost it, John. One more note. I do. Yes, um, it is just to say and the confirm that the verbius Diablo has been fully translated here. Yes, and we get that it is two oh, yeah. brothers that have been cast out of Ooh. heaven, one to earth and one to hell. 
the one cast out to earth will feed on blood and relates to the the vampiric element of, of um this story and the other one to hell will feed on souls and lucifer because obviously mm-hmm. first season is very much around vampires this season is around the devil uh in, in hell mm-hmm. uh, so i thought that was uh really nice to get this kind of this idea that's the shock ultimately is that there are two lucifers yeah. um here Ooh. from the the verbus diablo um, ages, yeah. and we have some alchem correcting um mr lyle that actually it's not hound of god it's the wolf of, of god as well and mm-hmm. um, so just you know it puts a different perspective on on ethan chandler uh, and his transformation it's, and just creates that epic battle that you know is coming you know it, it's any any mm. type of mythology has to have that epic battle that's on its way and us as the audience piecing together who all of these characters are and putting them all into their places exactly. within this prediction i suppose yeah. or, uh, or this prophecy uh, is always really cool in these kind of shows yeah and the final one is <laughs> I just want to note that I love the that antagonistic relationship between Evelyn Poole and her daughter Hecate. Oh, absolutely! Um, mm. and, and I think it's just because it it, it kind of leads into the next few where we see Hecate uh, with a plan of of her own. So yes, yes. even early on um, in the season, you do see this kind of bubbling away, and it's starting to really kind of show itself now and we've seen with Evelyn Poole that she's not infallible mm-hmm. so yeah. with Hecate kind of nipping at her heels yeah. you kind of sense something's coming absolutely yeah. just just kind of stabbing at her I think there's a, a line from Hecate perhaps you aren't as powerful as you thought maybe I should try <laughs> it's just <laughs> shut up daughter yeah exactly <laughs> really really good well she just throw her out of the um the voodoo or fetish parlor which I quite liked Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just remember who commands you. I really, mm. really enjoyed that. That's it. That's the end of our discussion about episode eight, season two of Penny Dreadful, Memento Mori. We'll be back later in the week with our discussion about season two, episode nine, and hell itself, my only foe. Hi, I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you the loony listener with a podcast honoring marvel's very own moon knight so join me and a host of others at into the night a moon knight podcast follow us on facebook twitter and instagram or support the show by becoming a patreon member into the night a moon knight podcast it's time to get your conchu on